The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Hello and welcome to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster and my guest today is attorney Diana Stallone, who you may know as an attorney and also as the smart entrepreneur. Um, Those two businesses have been in existence for a little while and then also we'll get to hear about Studio 30, which is a third business of yours, Diana, um, that you recently launched that's a nonprofit in a private event space in Florence. So welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. It's a delight to be here. I'm really happy to have you here here and um, to meet you. I can't believe our paths haven't crossed yet. I know. Um, But Greg, your relentless sidekick, um, emailed me and was like, hey, Diana. And I was like, okay, let's talk. Let's do this. Um, And then lo and behold, I was at an event the other day and Greg and I ended up seeing each other at the garden house at Look Park when he was doing some Young at Heart stuff. So, Well, Greg has produced all of my videos for The Smart Entrepreneur and he's just like the most amazing um, just amazing person to have on your side. So I'm grateful to Greg. So shout out to Greg Simonson. Greg Simonson. So what does Greg do with the young at heart? Greg is, um, he does some production for them too. He does the sound for them. Yeah. And they're actually, their office is right below my studio. Oh, um, perfect. Over there. In Florence. Yeah. Nice. And so, and they're kind of amazing. And in fact, if you ever come into that building, oops, there's, um, <laughs> they now have put big giant puppets up in that building huh. um, of the people who were um, in the early Young at Heart um, um, people. They had apparently had a show where they had these giant puppets so they're all puppets. up there yeah and it's kind of wonderful yeah actually um i uh i went to bread and puppet i like to go to vermont in the summer i have two kids and we um were sort of doing a whirlwind tour around vermont this last summer and bread and puppet who are known for their large puppets um is up in glover i think glover vermont and so my husband and i wanted to take the kids there and we ended up taking them there and it's this like dark cave like like chronologically you know um just historical puppetry and all it so it was it was great i can't wait to go in there and check it out i, pr- I probably won't bring my kids though but okay florence is where i live so i can just hop right over there um so anyway back to you enough about greg Um, We've given him enough airtime, but thank you, Greg, for the introduction. So, Diana, you're an attorney, and when I was looking at you online on LinkedIn, I saw that you were you have some roots in New York, some roots in Minnesota, did a little bit in Boston. So, so tell me about your roots, your growing up, and sort of what got you here. Well, my family is from Brooklyn, and um, you know, my last name is Stallone. Um, Obviously, um, you know, like come, my parents were like kind of Brooklyn, you know. If you saw like John Travolta in that movie, that was like my dad. <laughs> and so although my dad's actually a very bright, he's extremely bright. Um, and um, so I, my parents, uh, we left New York at a, when I was actually quite young because my parents had three children by the time they were 21. I'm the youngest and I'm only 21 years younger than my parents. So they had three kids and living in a flat on Flatbush Avenue above the store with cro- cockroaches and stuff was, you know, problematic for them. Um, I won't go Probably into how... for all of you. 
right? I won't go into how we got to Minnesota, but anyway, we ended up in Minnesota, which is quite a culture shock from Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. And um, so my dad was like a welder, you know, and uh, worked his way up and became a, a, an entrepreneur and a, a business owner and became quite successful because he the guy's a genius. And um, a hard worker. He's a hard worker. He's uneducated, but he's he's like he, like he's one of the smartest people I know. He's he he's really um, like an inventor kind of thing. I'm like the first person in my family um, to really go to college and go to law school. I can tell you that in when I was young, um, little Italian girls were not saying they were going to be lawyers, but I knew I was going to be a lawyer from the time I was like five. And, and what was that for you? Why? Like what happened at five or what switch? burning desire for justice. Um, I think that, you know, my formative years um, were, you know, they were they were tumultuous years, like in, in the early 60s, um, where, you know, a lot was going on, you know, the early 1960s. And I, my, my, my mother used to tell us, we, we, you have to watch the news. And so we watched the news. And so on the, one of those old black and white TVs. Mm-hmm. And I was profoundly affected by injustice. And I was also affected by injustice that I felt in my own personal life. Um, you know, my brother, um, his birth name is Vito. Uh, so my brother's name is Vito Stallone. And so we lived in um, a very... Um, homogeneous um, area of Minnesota. It was actually a kind of wealthy area, um, which we happened to live in, like this little farmhouse that that my dad found and fixed up. And then everyone around us was quite wealthy. So we were from New York. My brother's name was Vito Stallone, and I used to watch them beat up my brother every day. And um, and this really affected me to watch. um, There was a lot of injustice. Um, There was a lot of class injustice. We were poor. My dad made 50 bucks a week. He was a welder and, you know, supporting a wife and three kids. And so, you know, we really learned um, resourcefulness. We learned to make do. And actually, I think resourcefulness, when I'm hiring somebody, I actually look for resourcefulness because I think that everything can be taught. But, you know, you learn resourcefulness from going through hardship. And, and how do you see that when you're interviewing someone? Like what um, stands out to you as resourceful? Well, I remember I, when I hired my, my legal assistant, I hired her. I can't tell you how many people um, applied, but she was a single mom with four kids. And I was just, you know, just getting to know her and asking her about, you know, how do you handle this and that? And I really felt like, you know, she really demonstrated she had come from, you know, a, a, a very difficult background. Um and had had to flee from her partner. So there was, you know, and she managed to make it work. And I really felt like, you know, this aspect of just learning to be resourceful is more important than, you know, the exact experience or the education. And this is one of the things I tell people in my courses on entrepreneurship, because a lot of people are getting pushed into the entrepreneurial space right now, especially older people getting thrown out of their jobs and they're suddenly becoming unemployable um, in their 50s. I'm seeing people, because I do discrimination work, um, people thrown out of their jobs, then they're all of a sudden trying to start start their own business because they can't get hired again. And um, they're scared because they don't think they, you know, they've always worked for a paycheck. They've done everything right, they work for a paycheck, but they don't know that they have what it takes. And I tell people, and I think it's really 
I'm not lying. I think it's really true that if you've suffered hardships and you had to get, you had to survive and 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 work around and make do and and figure stuff out. Those are the qualities that you need to be a good a good entrepreneur. You need to be resourceful, hard work, be able to stick to it and just not give up and be able to course correct. Okay, this isn't working. Let me do something. And people mistakenly think that oh, everybody else can do it, but I can't. But the people who come from hardship and you know really no formal background, no experience. They make excellent entrepreneurs. It's grit. I mean, it really is. And I think that you're right when when you say, you know, you've experienced hardship or discrimination. And, you know, being an entrepreneur, because I'm a former entrepreneur myself, I call myself a recovering entrepreneur. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's such a it's such a great place to make change for yourself. I mean, so many people I see so many immigrant people um, being entrepreneurs, so many people who don't have like a strong education background being entrepreneurs because you you know, the sky's the limit. There's right. no one putting that restriction on you of pay of hierarchy of title of whatever in a corporation you're kind of doing it for yourself yeah and I think some people you know for myself I think I indicated that I started out after law school I worked at three very large blue chip law firms and I quickly realized like this is not the place for me the culture um, I think that when you become an entrepreneur, you really, you, you all of a sudden have the freedom. You get to choose who you get to work with. When you're a lawyer and you work at one of those big firms, you get a big fat file on your desk and then it says, please defend. And you open it up and you're like, what, you expect me to defend this person? <laughs> are you really kidding? Now, one of the things I learned from that is that there are very few bad people in the world. There, um, a lot of people do bad things or get themselves into bad situations and they get kind of pushed into the corner and then that makes them make another bad decision and they get deeper and deeper into it. So it was instructive to, um, it was instructive to, to be able to, you know, see someone where you're like, I'm not going to defend that person. I refuse. And then looking at it and saying, well, you know, this person isn't necessarily a bad person. He's made some bad decisions and kind of get in their head. And you can see that, that, that there really are few, not that many. There are some. I, I really like that, though, because I, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of bad people in the world. So I like that perspective. I'm really going to hold on to well, that. Well, it looks um, like that from the outside because you see, like, you know, yeah. oh, this person <laughs> ran through a red light, you know, hit this woman with their kid, kept going, you know, didn't even stop. That Gee, that's kind of a bad thing. You know, then you find, oh, this person is a, a veteran. He has very PTSD, serious PTSD, yeah. has a brain injury, all kinds of yeah, things. Yeah, and and with my work in the um, nonprofit uh, sector, I do start to think about more of those things. But we need to take a quick break. This is Tara Brewster. You're listening to the Western Mass Business Show, and I'm here today with attorney Diana Stallone. We'll be right back. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guest today is attorney Diana Stallone, obviously who's an attorney and also um, from the Smart Entrepreneur and Studio 30 in uh, Florence. And so we've been talking a little bit about justice and litigation and the human condition right um and broken people 
I mean, and, you know, we were just talking off air and Joan was saying, you know, everyone is someone's kid. Um, And we touched on a little bit restorative justice. And we haven't talked about mediation yet, but do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. You know, I've been trained in both restorative justice and mediation. And, you know, from my perspective, you know, I think doing defense work, I, I never wanted to do defense work. It's just that's where I got a job. I wanted to work for a women's organization. Um, that's what I wanted to do, um, which incidentally, I've never done. <laughs> and um, There's still time. But um, I have faith in you, yeah. serial entrepreneur. Yeah, I so but I but I I learned a lot from doing defense work and that you were really able to see the other side, and you're also able to see the humanity of the perpetra- of the person who did, I mean, I didn't do any criminal work. Um, it was all civil um, work, because it was a big blue chip law firms in, in Boston, and in I started out in Minneapolis. And so for people that don't know, define blue chip. Um, you know, like the marble floors, and you know, like you're in the high rise, there's marble floors, everyone's from Harvard or Yale or, you know, like it's, so I was actually the outlier because I came from Minnesota and, um, but I had worked at a very big firm in Minneapolis, a big blue chip law firm in Minneapolis. And so I, I decided to move to Boston. Actually, I was out there for work um, and they had assigned me um, uh, a rape case. A def- it was a premises liability rape case, um, which I had f- like fought against doing. I didn't want to do it. <laughs> anyway, I was out there, and when I got to Boston, I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Like, there's all these different kind of people here, and everybody's <laughs> speaking different languages, and and it was like so exciting to me, and I was. I was like, I'm moving to New York. And people were saying to me, oh, you're never going to get hired. They've got all those lawyers out there that were from, you know, Harvard and Yale. You're never going to. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to take my vacation. My secretary actually moved out there. And she was like, oh, Diana, you got to come. So I came out to visit her. I came out on a Tuesday. I decided I'd study for the bar exam. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I took the bar exam Friday, Saturday. Thursday, yeah, Friday, Saturday, I applied, or Monday, Tuesday, anyway, I applied for a job on Friday. <laughs> you you at were working this fast. Big, at this big blue chip law firm. Yeah. And, um, and I went, I was back at my job in Minneapolis on Monday, and they called me on Monday and said, we want you to come. And oh they paid gosh. for me. To, and I was like, well, I need to raise. And they flew me out there, and they, they moved all my stuff. And, and this was in New York or Boston? That was Boston. Okay. So I ended up in Boston, and... Um, you know, I really, uh, you know, I'm. I felt like I never quite. I thought Boston was going to be mini New York. It's it's not. And like I thought, <laughs> oh, it's going to be mini New York. And then when I got there, I realized like, wow, I don't really understand the to culture here. I don't understand the culture. I don't really understand. You know, I moved into the North End, which is the Italian section of town. I was real excited about that because I thought. You're I'm legit. finally, You're I'm finally going to be, name. yes, and I'm finally going to be around people who are like my people, my size, you know, because the people in Minnesota are huge, like they're big people. Like I remember when I went to the University of Minnesota, I got on the elevator once and the football team lived in the same dorm with me and I got on the elevator and I looked around and I literally was looking at everyone's navel. 
<laughs> it was like the weirdest thing. I was like this miniature person. So I was really excited to come to Boston, and I'm still really happy I had that experience. I'm actually very happy here in Western Mass because it's kind of, you know, um, it's just kind of like I understand the people. I understand the culture. I feel very comfortable here. And I think, you know, we have a lot of great stuff going on in Northampton. In fact, I um, I sit on the Human Rights Commission here. I saw that. You sit on a couple human I sat rights. on the Human Rights Commission in Minneapolis. Okay. I was first appointed there. I saw that on LinkedIn. And then, and then now I'm um, on the Human Rights Commission here, and we had someone come on last night to talk to us about, like, the Department of Community Care. And we're having, like, these great... Um, programs that I think are really going to help in the justice system um, in intervening and helping people when they have like those emotional crises instead of just criminalizing people. So, you know, Northampton is the place where, you know, we have a restorative justice program here. I'm not really familiar with how well, how, how that's working. It's mostly in the criminal area and I don't do any criminal work. But I think, you know, these programs show a lot of promise mm-hmm. in terms of really I, I have a lot of problem with the way our justice system is working. Um, for me, I am a pretty aggressive litigator, and um, I really don't have any problem at all with the behavior of my opposing counsel, which can be horrendous. Um, what I have a problem with is when you can't count on the judge. That's where, for me, the rubber hits the road. You know, we expect the judge to be fair. We expect him to be diligent. We expect him to have read the papers. <laughs> we expect him to be intelligent. We expect him to be non-discriminatory. Um, and those expectations um, are not always met. In fact, they're frequently not met. And um, and also not, not only race, gender, but also class and money. Like if you have, if you don't have money, you're going to get a different kind of justice than you're going to get if you have money. Just as a lawyer, I know that if I'm, and I'm again talking about civil stuff. If I want to, I want to talk to ten witnesses, and I want to subpoena those ten witnesses. I'm realizing I'm going to pay six to seven hundred dollars per witness to get that court reporter, and then I got to pay another fifty dollars to the the sheriff to serve them. So you're looking at eight nine hundred dollars per witness, and then if you have experts, I mean, it can be very very expensive. And then if the judge makes a mistake and you have to go up on appeal and it gets overturned, you got to come back down. You got to do it all over again. So it can be. Uh, I, I really think that having alternatives to the current litigation system is really the future and that I'm hoping that we will build a parallel justice system and that eventually you know you first have to build the the, the, the parallel system before you can make the old one obsolete mm-hmm. but I think that our existing system of resolving problems between people can and should become obsolete at some point and re- and replaced with um, more humane and civilized and equitable ways of resolving differences between people. So when people come to you, are you trying to push them towards, you know, not going to court right away, towards having those more mediated conversations? Or, you know, what is your process looking like now versus when you first started? Well, I'm a trained media. I mean, when I first started, I had a pretty serious case of the Napoleon syndrome, you know, (laughs) I'm a small person. And, um, you know, I'm a small person. I'm a female. You know, people, I have a high voice. People were asking me if my mommy was home when I answered the phone for, you know, until I was like 40. 
So I had a strong case of, you know, the Napoleon. So I was very aggressive. And with maturity and experience, I came to learn that actually you don't need to get the nuclear arms out like each time. You can actually, you know, respond in a l- and that it's better for everybody if you can if you can resolve matters. So I always try to resolve something first. Um, I, I mean, I will fight. You, you know, you're not. I'm not going away, but I will definitely try to resolve it if I can mm-hmm. um, within reasonable bounds. The problem is, is that, you know, you, you don't have any control over whether the other side's going to be reasonable or not. Right. Yeah. And I think what you said, too, about the judge, I mean, you know, that's that's a really key conversation right now. And, and it's happening <laughs> at the very highest court level. Um, it's where really we're disturbing. <laughs> having reflective moments of you know, ethics and justice and leadership. Yeah, um, I mean, when I worked at the big firms, I mean, one of the things that offended my sense of justice was that when I worked at the big firm, I felt that the the, the, the scales were tipped in my favor because I worked at the big firm. And I found this offensive uh, because it is offensive. Um, so I think that, you know, a, a lot of reform there needs to happen. And one of the things that's why one of the reasons I started the Smart Entrepreneur was that I think that that it's important to keep people out of the legal system if we can. So that's one of the focuses that I have right now is with the Smart Entrepreneur is teaching people how not to need my legal services, which is pretty cool. It's it's really yeah important yeah and and innovative. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of it before, and it's on your website, right? Is your yes. website askdiana.com? Yes, with two ends. Okay, um, so on your website, there's a lot of videos there. A lot of it is free, right? Um, you know, it's there for people to really look and research and learn about your tips and your yeah you know suggestions over your legal career. On my Facebook page too, it's ask uh, Facebook you know askdiana.com again with two ends. Um, there's a whole bunch of resources on there for entrepreneurs free videos, that sort of thing. It's amazing. Thank you for doing that. Everyone should check that out. AskDiana.com. This is Tara Brewster. You've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm here today with attorney Diana Stallone, and we'll be right back. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guest today is attorney Diana Stallone, um, also of the Smart Entrepreneur and Studio 30 in Florence, which is a nonprofit private event space. Um, and so, Diana, we've been talking about legal landmines, pitfalls, your experience in all of these years of you being in the world and sort of just learning, right? Being entrepreneurial in your law practice and in your life. Um, And so one of the interesting things that we've been kind of tap dancing around is is mistakes um, in life, both that humans make, business owners make. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, some mistakes that maybe we can avoid or you can help us like see before we actually make them? Yes, I think that this is why, you know, I started The Smart Entrepreneur was to, first I wrote a book, um, The Legal Reference Guide for Entrepreneurs. And which why I, am I not surprised that you're also an author? Yeah, I wrote this book, you know, to help people. And I made it like big type 
big type, short paragraphs, plain English. And one of the things people say to me frequently when they meet me, and they, I don't usually lead with I'm a lawyer, and no one would look at me and really think I'm a lawyer, I don't think. But, um, but the first thing they say is, oh, my lawyer said this, what did he mean? And it's like, I don't understand, you know, you're a paid communicator that you don't really communicate with your clients and let them understand like there's something in their life that's going to affect them they need and they need to make that decision with your help so i really wanted to explain to people but after i wrote the book i realized that we're really moving to more video and that people they're scared of legal stuff they're intimidated by it and i felt like they wanted to consume that information with a video so with the help of greg I produced 47 videos. Oh, my God. Um, 47 videos? 47 professionally produced videos um, via the Smart Entrepreneur. It's a boot camp that I created for business owners and entrepreneurs, people who already own a business or are thinking about starting a business that basically tells you, okay, here's how you start up. Here's what you need to know before you think about choosing a name. You know, just really basic stuff before you choose a name. Here's a, how, wh- what kind of structure. Why would you choose one over another? How do you protect your business assets? What do you need to know about contracts? What happens when you hire your team? I mean, the employment field is like just littered with la- landmines. Like you're when you put an ad out f- to hire somebody, that ad's regulated. <laughs> you know, you're not allowed to say, I want a busboy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, or a waitress. I mean, yeah. you really, you know, your your interview is regulated. The employment area is really highly regulated. So how do you hire your team? How do you avoid all of that? And then, you know, I also included, um, uh, you know, p- trademark, all these kind of things that you need to know, what you need to know about contracts, and then how to avoid hidden legal landmines. So I want to just, I want to give your your viewer or your listeners just some nuggets of things that I think are the biggest mistake, the things that are really coming up. You know, when you do this work for a long time, you get to see the, the mistakes that people make over and over again, and most of them you could avoid if you just knew that yeah. this is a mistake yeah. which is why i created the course yeah landmines here's the landmines here's the red flags here's how you get around it now and then you need a lawyer to be a bridge to get you over something so but it's helpful to be able to discern in advance where do you really need a lawyer and where can you just not do that to begin with mm-hmm. so here's the thing i want to talk about that, that I think I'm seeing people do right now that's really, especially with online stuff, that's coming up all the time and causing all kinds of problems for people. And that is that when you go to have your website done by somebody or you go to have some graphic design done by somebody, you go to have your logo created by somebody, um, you need to have a confidentiality agreement with that person prior to giving them any of your stuff. I wanna just, I wish we had an hour just to talk about this, we don't, but I'm just gonna tell you that people can steal your business. They can and they do. And unfortunately, you know, no one's coming to me because something good happened to them. They're coming to me because something bad happened. And I've seen people have their entire business stolen by their marketing person, by their virtual assistant, by the person who runs, who set up their website. I have someone yesterday um, saying, you know, this person's holding me hostage. I can't, I don't own my own URL. I don't own my name. I, you know, you have your name and somebody, you hire somebody to 
to do your website for you. They purchase your name, dianastallone.com, and then they hold it hostage. And so you must have a confidentiality agreement. You absolutely must. And that confidentiality agreement needs to have certain things in it. And I wish everyone could see my mouth like dropped. I'm like, what? Well, I'm, I mean, why would anyone do that? I'm That's telling like you, it happens thing. all the time, all the time. I have a I have a client who's whose whose marketing person literally came in and took their testimonials. You know, you give your marketing person all your testimonials, your 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 passwords. You have to protect yourself, and your contract needs to say. You will not use this for yourself or anyone else directly or indirectly. And here's what you can't use. You will not change any passwords. You will not keep any passwords. You will not keep any copies of anything. And if you make me come after you, it's going to be done in my state under my laws. And you're going to pay my attorney's fees. And it's essential that you have that in there. Because especially if you're working with someone in, you know, Sri Lanka, you're not your lawyers and you say, Oh my God, he took my he took my business, you know, he's running my same my business. And your lawyer says, Oh gee, well where are they? Oh, they're in Sri Lanka or China. It's like, well, good luck to you. You know, do you know how much it's gonna cost you to go after them? And so are you seeing more of this type of scenario happening because of the virtual assistant world that's it really is. risen? And 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 you know, everyone needing a website and marketing, online marketing. I mean, nobody knows how to do online marketing. You hire somebody to do that. And so it's really very, very important that you get a confidentiality agreement and that you make sure that that confidentiality agreement is structured correctly and that, you know, it's a tight confidentiality agreement and it's a deal breaker. I mean, do not do it without the confidentiality agreement. And if you learn nothing else, that is... <laughs> and and really would you important. also say to to work with someone that you know that's like banking local? It's like, well, you know, you I know, mean, like shopping that's, local. Yeah, I that's mean, ideal, yeah. but I think in today's world, I don't know how, how practical that is. I yeah. think people are really, you know, relying on virtual assistants. You do... It, having the agreement itself is a deterrent. But, you know, just 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 know having someone sign their name to something saying you're going to come to my state under my laws and you're going to pay my attorney's fees to go after you. It helps. Well, you're also making me remember when I owned um, Jackson and Connor, Candace and I, my former business partner, we didn't have a, a end agreement like there, there was only like the beginning stuff and our lawyer at the time never had us do like a you know a what if clause um or an agreement for well, that's on my list oh good <laughs> I, I made your top three lists uh, i'm glad made, that i already like you made you checked top, off one of your boxes oh my, boy i have three things three things that i was gonna say that i three I'm tips. stealing your thunder uh, three tips <laughs> that i was gonna give one is about the confidentiality agreement like just do it um, and by the way, I have a book of forms, of legal forms that I created for people that have a sample confidentiality agreements in it, um, which you can find on my website. I think that it's important that, you know, that the confidentiality agreement, the other, the other thing I chose to say about, do, about, about mistakes that people make is going into business with somebody else and not doing your due diligence. I belong to all these women's groups on Facebook. I try to contribute and I see, you know, okay, that's, and you'll see these women, they'll come on there and they'll say, oh my God, you know, so-and-so wants to offer me you know, or wants me to pay $50,000 to take over or, you know, half of his business, should I do it? And then like 30 women will come in and say, yes, go for your dream, do it. Just, just, just borrow the money. Just, and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> like 
No. You're like, hang on. Like, first of what? all, do not go into business with another person without doing your due diligence. Do not buy a business from someone, buy into a business of someone, or go into business with someone without doing due diligence. You need, and this part of the reason why people hate lawyers so much is that, you know, they're all gung ho to do something fun together. And then the lawyer is like, we're trained to predict disaster and protect you from it. Well, no one really likes to think about disaster when they're starting out their business. So one of the things I include in my course is, well, what does that due diligence look like? And you know, you do really need to put on your lawyer hat and you can do a lot of this yourself. You're gonna want, when you're really going into business, this is one of those times where you actually do need a lawyer to write up the agreement. But you can sit down with the person and you put your lawyer hat on and your disaster you know, preparedness catas- kit, catastrophic toolkit, uh, and you say, "Well, what if this person dies, and this person's um, will says that their property goes to their aunt Myrtle? Um, are you going to be in business with Aunt Myrtle? I mean, do you do you really want? You need to think about what could go wrong. How is this going to end? How is it going to end? What if? What if this happens? And also setting expectations in advance." People go into business and they don't say, okay, we're each going to work 30 hours a week. We're each going to contribute X amount of dollars. When the money comes in, X amount of that money is going to go back into the business. um, And X amount is not. I love it. You're making me uh, have flashbacks to my (laughs) former life. Um, Anyways, we need to take another break. I'm Tara Brewster. You've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. And I'm here today with attorney Diana Stallone. We'll be right back. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guest today is attorney Diana Stallone, also of the Smart Entrepreneur and Studio 30 in Florence, Massachusetts. Before we broke, Diana was just telling us about the top three avoidable mistakes that she sees business owners make time and time again. And so we had done one, we had done two, and are we on number three? Yeah, we did the confidentiality agreement. We talked about due diligence. If you're going to either buy into a business or, or, or go into business with someone else, I have like a 17-page thing of due diligence, just FYI. So you really do want to know what you're doing. And is this on your website? No, that's actually in my course. Okay. Um, I go through, you know, in my course, the kinds of things that you're going to want to do, like especially if you're going to buy into a business that's already existing, you know, you need to know, like, do you have, you know, what's your lease? What what, you know what 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 legal problems do you already have are you being sued by anyone you know all kinds of stuff and your course that you're referring to is the smart entrepreneur co- it's course. um it's a, a legal business boot camp but it is sold under the 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 moniker um the smart entrepreneur which is on my website you can find that um and what's that web address uh, it's askdiana.com with two N's. Diana with two N's. Great. Um, so I want to tell you about the third avoidable mistake. And this one is um, this one is about understanding the difference between an independent contractor and an employee. And um, in Massachusetts, we have very strict laws about this. And uh, it's tempting, and, and I understand the temptation, to want to just hire, pay somebody under the table 
um, hire them as an independent contractor and um, and not take on the burdens of having somebody be an employee. And I think that this is something that bears some discussion from a policy standpoint as to why the law is this way and whether it should stay this way. But putting that aside, this is the way the law is right now, which is that a person is considered your employee if that person um, is working for you doing something that is a part integral part of your business and that person does not own their own business doing that same thing for other people so for example let me just be clear if you hire a plumber that plumber's business is different than yours and that person is in business for themselves and they provide that same service to a bunch of other people that person is clearly an independent contractor. If you hire somebody who is doing something that is an integral part of your business, like as a lawyer, I need a secretary. It's an integral part of my business or my paralegal. If I were going to try to hire that person as an independent contractor and that person did not have their own business in which they provide that same service for other people, that person would be legally considered to be my employee. Now, why that's so important is, uh, again, people come to me when something goes wrong, and it frequently does uh, in the employment area. And um, it's important because uh, that person is not covered under your workers' compensation insurance, and there are different laws that apply to the wage and hour. You can get yourself in all kinds of trouble um, by doing by doing this wrong. Um, it, it it is a potentially catastrophic mistake. Um, the other mistakes are you know they're bad, <laughs> but. But when I say catastrophic, I'm saying, okay, you hired somebody to, um, and, and that person, the, the, the law considers them an independent contractor, and or, I mean, your employee. And let me just back up for one second and say that don't make the mistake of thinking that because you and I agree you're going to be an independent contractor, and we even put it in writing, you're an independent contractor. Just FYI, the court does not care about what you think or say about that. The court applies the test I just described. Do they own their own business? Is it different than yours? And do they do it for a bunch of other people? If not, they're your employee. End of story. They don't care what you wrote. And when a lawyer gets involved because that person is mad at you or whatever, lawyer's going to look at that relationship and say, ah, you were an employee. Now you've got all kinds of problems. But I think the biggest problem I want to just point out for you is if that person gets hurt hurt. Um, if that person gets hurt doing something that, you know, it would be considered to be your business, they're on their way to, to, to go do a, an appointment for you, they get in a car accident, they lose their leg, okay, their health insurance has a exclusion in it that says that we will not cover work-related that that's done by workers' compensation. So now you don't have the workers' compensation insurance, and so what happens is that you're responsible for their medical bills. You're also responsible for the fact that they can't work for the rest of their life, maybe because they're they've lost their okay, leg. Okay, I'm terrified yeah. now. I'm I'm never. I know. I'm like I. 
I'm never going to hire anyone ever again. I'm just, as an independent contractor, I'm just saying, I got it. I got it. I'm just saying, <laughs> you can't, and that person, let's say that person has lost their leg, you have to pay for their pain and suffering and the fact that they've lost their leg and their reduced income for the rest of their lives, and you're uninsured for that. This is a catastrophic mistake. So and that, it can happen. It, it happens all the time. And um, <laughs> it happens all the time. Maybe people get hurt. You know, they get in car accidents, they, 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 they trip and they fall. Now, sometimes they don't become quadriplegics and they only, you know, have, you know, have, have a, a, a wrist problem. But, but medical bills can come very quickly and the Department of Labor will come after you um, and fine you. And the IRS will also come after you because you didn't pay your employment taxes. So when I say this is a problem... I'm really not kidding. It's a problem. And so you must structure those relationships correctly, and there's a way to do it, um, which, again, is something I cover in my course, how to structure these relationships. If you want to hire somebody, you want to make sure you want to hire someone as an independent contractor, there's a way to do it. But you can't, you, you cannot just think, oh, because we say you're an independent contractor, that means you are. It's important that you understand, because a lot of times people think, well, if we both agree, and we put it in writing, well, then that's set in stone. And that is actually um, a, a hidden legal landmine. Yeah, I would say so. I'm I'm a little shell-shocked over here right now. Um, and also, you know, just thinking about beginning entrepreneurs. I mean, people, when they're first starting out, which is a lot of people, they have no idea about any of this stuff. I mean, you know, and there's no real place to send anyone if you're moving to town and you want to open a business or if you, you've you never done it before and you want to open a business. I mean, you know, I send people to the Massachusetts Small Business Development Center or, um, you know, Valley CDC or Franklin County CDC. But I send mean... Send them to me. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna start <laughs> sending them to you now, too, um, just to get the, the more specific legal advice. But, you know, I don't know if you work with any of those three entities, but, you know, that's where I'm sending them for business plans planning and for financial planning and logistics and opening a business. But I mean, this this piece that you're talking about is like the next level. Of well, it's just a deeper thing there. It's not an accident that every successful um, corporation, a major corporation in the world has a lawyer at the table as the decision. There's a voice of a lawyer at the table before you make the decision. And that's because all legal problems are best avoided than dealt with afterwards. Once you, you know, I can't tell you how many times the words have come out of my mouth. I wish you had come to me before you did that. <laughs> because it's so much easier to prevent a, a legal problem than to clean it up after you've stepped on a landmine. Oh, well, um, we're almost out of time, but I, Di, Diana, Attorney Diana Stallone, thank you so much for being here. This has been amazing. You can find out more about her work at AskDiana.com. Um, and in my thanking, I also want to say thank you to Greenfield Savings Bank, who is my employer, who is a mutual bank in um, uh, the region in Franklin County and Hampshire County, 10 branches Really phenomenal. Um, love GSB. Also to Craig De La Pena, who's my neighbor on Chestnut Street. He is with the Murphy's Realty Group, and he is a green realtor, um, winning awards for his rail-to-trail advocacy work across the state. One day, I hope he sees his dream of connecting from all the way to the shores to um, the Berkshires for a rail trail for all of us to uh, enjoy. And then finally, George O'Brien and his team at Business West. We love George O'Brien, giving us so much news and information 
information about all of the counties within our region, having great, great events. I'm looking forward to the 40 Under 40 event coming up in June. Be on the lookout for that. They just had difference makers. Um, thank you to George O'Brien, Craig De La Pena, and Greenfield Savings Bank for sponsoring the show, and to Attorney Diana Stallone. It's been a real pleasure, and thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great, great fun. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP.